Good morning. I'm reading from the very end of 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians um, 16, verses 10 through 24. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. Today is a call to leadership. We have concluded, we're about to conclude a six-month investigation of this great letter, this ancient letter, this letter that Paul wrote to the very, very, a very new church in Corinth. And today, though, we're going to end this entire series, this this sometimes confusing and intimidating and controversial uh, list of subjects, and I'm glad that I'm not going to be getting beat up every week by 1 Corinthians and its subject nature, on to new things for the rest of the summer. We're going to look at some of the Psalms, by the way. But as we conclude, uh, today is a call to leadership. Now, we've been eavesdropping, right? We've been reading, intercepting other people's mail. Right? Almost 2,000-year-old mail intercepted, eavesdropped between Paul and this young church that he had planted. Uh, he felt like he was their spiritual father. He had a pastoral heart for them, but he's spending these 16 chapters rebuking them, sometimes harshly, but always in a spirit of love. We've been eavesdropping in on this conversation, and we've said, I've been saying the whole time, this is ancient wisdom, but it's very relevant for now. Ancient wisdom for our current issues. So as we, like the Corinthians did, as we pursue knowledge and wisdom today, as we respond to our conflicts, internal and external, with our families, with each other, with the church, and out there with society, with our neighbors, with the world, as we respond to conflict, also as we interact with our secular culture here, and as we understand very important issues like sexuality, what are we to be? Who are we to be as sexual beings? What would it look like to steward the bodies, the physical bodies that God gave us? As we practice public worship together, as we use our spiritual gifts for one another, 
as we consider all these things that Paul has addressed, we've become aware of one great poison, the greatest obstacle to all of them, it's pride. Or as Paul would say, boasting. He keeps talking about boasting, being boastful. Or the Greek word, it meant to be puffed up like a hot air balloon. Pride was the greatest poison that would threaten all of these issues, uh, Paul said. However, there's also the greatest antidote, it's love. Paul, time and time again in this letter, uh, has pitted against, uh, uh, pitted against pride as its beautiful foil, love. Paul concludes now with one last bit of instruction. One last bit of instruction that will allow us to continue to avoid pride and pursue love. And it's this, submit to leadership. It's an interesting, almost unexpected bit of last advice. He says, submit to leadership, submit to good leadership. And that's how our series is going to conclude today. The church needs devoted leaders who serve with integrity. The world needs good leaders who are devoted to lives of integrity. And as we look at that, as we conclude with Paul's final statements uh, to his beloved Corinthian friends, we're going to consider the evidence of healthy leadership. We're also going to consider the call to leadership. And then finally, we're going to look at the promise that God gives us for good leadership. The evidence of good leadership, how we can recognize it among us in various settings in life, but particularly in our religion and in our congregational life, but also the call to leadership that God offers to us through these words. And then finally, the promise that God gives us that he will never leave us without good leadership. Now, the evidence of leadership is this devotion to serve one another. Perhaps the most important sign of healthy leadership is a devotion to serve others. Now, uh, Paul refers to several people, as, as you've heard in his closing remarks, people that if you've been following with me through the letter, and if you've read the, if you, if you've read the history of Acts, and actually we did a series in Acts two years ago, if you were here, you might remember these names, Timothy, uh, Paul's most you know, well-known apprentice in the faith and in ministry, Apollos, that, that eloquent, powerful orator, from Alexandria, who, who was able to refute quite powerfully uh, the unbelieving Jews in Corinth after Paul had left Corinth. Uh, we also hear of Aquila and Prisca, short for, it's a nickname for Priscilla, uh, this husband and wife team uh, who at one point in Ephesus uh, af this, is, this is after uh, the church in Corinth was planted, and, uh, but before Apollos got to Corinth, uh, Priscilla and Aquila met Apollos in Ephesus, and, and he was this powerful speaker talking about Jesus, but his knowledge was incomplete. His theology wasn't quite right, and this man and woman took him aside respectfully and privately, and they corrected his theology, uh, and, and he was more equipped after meeting with this man and this woman uh, to be a blessing. He then went on to Corinth to be a blessing uh, for the church 
in Corinth. Um, and so Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy, all names that we've heard of before, and if you're not familiar with them, I encourage you to read the history of the book of Acts. But here's a list of names we're not as familiar with because they really don't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, uh, Achaicus, however you want to say it. Uh, we know almost nothing, actually nothing, about the second two names. Here's where we read them alone. Uh, Stephanus has, has been mentioned already in chapter 1. Paul said that he baptized the household of Stephanus, and then his name appears here again. It seems likely that these three men uh, carried with them the first letter from the Corinthians to Paul in Ephesus, the letter that Paul refers to and that we don't have that Paul's responding to through this letter. Uh, perhaps these three had brought that letter representing the Corinthian church to Paul, and now they're, they're staying with him, and, and they're, they're about to be sent back. So Paul tells us something interesting about Stephanus and his companions. In verses 15 and 16, and then I'm going to I'm going to also quote verse 18. He says to the Corinthians in closing, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, Corinth, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. And he went on to say, again, give recognition to such people. Now, you might remember, Paul had said that some among them in the church there were arrogant. The word was puffed up in chapter 4, verse 18. He said, some of you are arrogant, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to see whether you're just talk or whether there's real power to those of you who are boasting about yourselves and criticizing me. Uh, but we also know that he said knowledge puffs up, same word for arrogant, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, he told them in chapter 8, verse 1. There were some influential people there vying for authority, being very critical of Paul after he left Corinth. But here, Paul contrasts those wannabe leaders, uh, the ones uh, stirring up division, shedding doubt on Paul's character and reputation and credentials, Paul now offers a contrast to those wannabes. What does he say? He says, this guy, Stephanus, he and his household were the first converts when I came to Corinth, and they have been devoted to you. They have been devoted to the saints, devoted to the church. This is the kind of leadership I want you to pay attention to. Right, so he's, he's being critical of these wannabe, prideful, boastful, puffed up, leaders, these personalities, right? And now, finally, at the, end of the, at the end of the letter, he says, this is who I want you to pay attention to. These are the people I want you to honor. These are the people I want you to submit to. These are the leaders that you can follow. And what's the evidence of leadership? Devoted to the service of the saints. This is what Paul wants them to emulate, Reminds me of the words of Christ himself, who in Mark chapter 10 is recorded to have said when his disciples were arguing with each other about who is better, who would be the greatest, who would be his top advisors and honored with him when he was supposed to take over. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And the word is also slave. 
And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The evidence of good leadership, maybe more than anything, is a devotion to serve. You may be thinking, some of you, well, what about good theology and good doctrine? Yeah, of course. What about an ability to teach? Well, yeah, and in some cases, yes. What about a good reputation and character? Yeah, all those things, absolutely. But all the vessel has to be humble. Those things have to come to us through a vessel of humility, an individual devoted to serve. And as we conclude our look at 1 Corinthians, our challenge is to see how desperately we need leadership in the world. How desperately we need leadership where we work and especially where we worship and the context in which we serve as Christians. Hear this call for leadership. I want you to think about it, whatever your situation is. Pray for good leaders. Submit to them and become yourself a servant leader. Pray for, submit to, and become servant leaders. Pray for God to raise up good leaders. Make it a major priority in your prayer life to pray that the Lord would provide good leadership in every context. And then, and then pray for those actual leaders, <laughs> even the ones you get that you don't like <laughs> or even respect. Pray for leaders, pray that God would raise them up, and then when you have them, actually pray for them specifically. Jesus said, pray for the harvest, right? The harvest is, is many, the workers are few, so pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus has taught his disciples to pray for people who do good work in the name of Jesus. But then the writer of the letter to the Hebrews would say this, and this I think is most applicable to today, uh, to this discussion. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, pray for us. And Paul would often say this, pray for me, pray for me and my companions. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And then finally, Paul would say to Timothy in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Some leaders know they need prayer and they ask you, pray for me, like Paul did. Some leaders don't believe they need prayer. They think they're fine. You know what? Pray for them anyway. <laughs> Ask God to help you to pray for the people who don't think they need prayer, that they're above prayer. Pray for them also. The scriptures teach us. And by this, we participate in the cause of the Lord's prayer, where Jesus taught his disciples to say this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
A practical way for us to, pl- to pray that God's will is done on earth is we pray for leaders of integrity to speak and act in the name of Jesus. That's part of the way uh, that practically the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why it's so important to pray for your parents, to pray for your boss, to pray for your teachers, for the Sunday school teachers right here in our little church. Why it's important to, we have four elders, including myself. We have, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) We have four deacons. uh, Many of, many, there are many men and women who serve in our finances and in, in, in teaching Sunday school. In outreach and hospitality, we desperately need your prayer. But then you have to respect and honor the people that God places in your life with some authority over you, as our sister Rachel mentioned to the kids earlier this morning. It goes back to the principle in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother so that it would go well with you in your life. And the Westminster Divines and the Westminster Confession of Faith, they show how that command applies to every area in our lives where we are somehow placed in submission to those who who lead us. The idea that, that God has placed in our life, in society, in our families, in our churches, in our businesses, authorities that, that we are to pray for and to respect and to honor. Jesus said it in a most remarkable and scandalous way to the Pharisees. They were shocked uh, when Jesus said to them, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. All right, this is Caesar, okay? Right? This isn't a Christian president voted in by all the evangelicals. This is Caesar. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I'll talk a little bit more about the second part of that phrase, but... What really holds society together, regardless of the society, there's been only one theocracy. There's been only one God-approved theocracy in all of human history, the ancient Israelites. Uh, But God holds all societies together to one degree or another as we each honor and respect the positions and honor a particular position by the honor that is required of that position. That's why Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Honor and respect Caesar as you should honor and respect the highest ranking politician in the land. Honor and respect people by the honor and respect that they're due based on their position. So it will look different depending on whether the individual is a parent or a teacher or a legislator in the state government, or the president of the United States, or your boss, or one of your elders or deacons, it depends. So pray for good leadership, and then honor and respect those leaders. But then finally, be a leader. Be a leader. You don't need an official position to act like a leader. You lead, but in the proper way. Paul says in verse 13, most curious thing, he starts spitting out all these short commands, like these final words. He's trying to get it all in at the end of the letter. And amongst them, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Act like men. Well, obviously we can't all act like men. 
His point there is, is not literally that everybody's supposed to act like a man. It's, it's, it's battle language. It was an ancient expression for stand up and be courageous in the face of danger. It was military language. And that's something that we can all uh, consider. We can make applications for that regardless of who you are and where you are in life. Be courageous in the face of adversity. Act like men or act like women. And if you're young here, and some of you are very young, so act like a man in training. You're going to be one someday. Act like a woman in training. You're going to be one someday. Whatever your situation, the people around you, in your classroom, where you work, in your church, on the street in which you live, people around you are desperate for leadership. They they may not even know that they need it. So you go ahead and you provide it. You exemplify it. But here's how. Don't get excited. Because leadership in the Bible is never a perk. It is always a burden, as we've talked about before. Here's how you act like men and women or men and women in training. Here's how you do it. Here's how you you become a leader. Be devoted to serve. Be devoted to serve one another. This is it. This is at least where it begins. Be careful of what lies beneath your contempt for leadership. Be careful. I think of two Old Testament accounts, and I'm glad that our brother Ed mentioned Deuteronomy and what Moses said to the Israelites. Because they just kept grumbling and complaining. I mean, Moses was losing his mind with with how many complaints he was receiving from the people. He got so frustrated with them, this is for another day, uh, that he lost his ticket to get into the promised land. They were such a source of frustration for him because of their bickering and complaining constantly, constantly grumbling to him. And at one point, and rightly so, he said to them in Exodus chapter 16, and here's the context, God says to Moses, the people are complaining, fine, I'm going to give them more food and drink than they know what to do with. And in that context, Moses says to them, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Why are you complaining with me? Your problem's with God. I also think of Samuel, the last judge before Israel started having kings. And the people wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody around them. And Samuel kept saying, you really don't want this. You really don't want this. I'm telling you, you don't want this. Finally, he gives in to them, but he's very frustrated that they won't listen to him. And God says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king over them. And I think that's really important because what I discover is that what is beneath my contempt for the people that God has placed in authority over me in my life, whether it's political authority or ecclesiastical authority because I have to submit to other people in the church and in the Lord. I'm accountable to people just like you are. I find that my contempt always goes back to a frustration with my creator. What's hidden beneath our contempt for leadership is always, the scriptures show us, and a hidden contempt for our maker. 
somehow believing that he is not looking out for us, that he got it wrong with who he made us and what he's given to us. That happened in a profound way many years ago when uh, my boss in ministry, essentially, a man that had mentored me, I was just angry with for a long time. Uh, Because as the church went through one difficulty after another, I just kept looking at how I thought uh, this individual wasn't managing things well. Um, And I finally sat down with him and I apologized and I asked him to forgive me. And I said, you know, I've been picking on your decisions for a while now, thinking I would do things differently if I were in your place. But you know, And even though we disagree and we have different approaches to leadership and we have different personalities and I would have done things differently, yada, yada, yada. I need to apologize to you because I think I've really just been angry with God. I've been discontent. I've been frustrated with what God's given me and what he's made me do. I'm frustrated with what God's made me put up with. And I think I've just been too embarrassed and afraid to just blame God (laughs) for being God in my life. And I've put that all on you, and I'm sorry. And what's amazing is that was such a healing moment for us. It was such a healing moment for him to be able to finally hear, you know what, I'm I'm picking on you when in reality my problem is with God. And I think that's a valuable thing that we all need to hear. We give people, we give our leaders far too much weight in our lives. From the president down to mom and dad or your Sunday school teacher, or your pastor, or the head of your HOA, where you live. (laughs) We put far too much weight in our leaders as though they were God-like, which is to say we reject God's place in our struggles. At the same time, religious leaders, religious leaders, let's just pick on ourselves since this is a church. We're not going to bug the politicians today or the car salesmen and saleswomen. At the same time, religious leaders are less trusted today, and to some degree, that's deserved. In some ways, it's unfair that the world thinks Christians are the scum of the earth. The world's always thought we're the scum of the earth. It's not always deserved, but sometimes it is deserved. Gallup, the Gallup poll has been uh, analyzing the most and least trusted professions in America for a long time. And, and if you notice the latest Gallup poll at the end of 2018, so this is very recent, uh, God bless you if you're a nurse, because nurses are at the top of the most trusted professionals in American society. 84% of the public considers nurses very highly trustworthy, or at least highly trustworthy. Uh, Medical doctors, pharmacists, look at that, high school teachers, way to go if you're one of those. Uh, Regardless of the tension in our society, police officers, police officers are still up there. Accountants are still up there. Look, clergy and journalists are right in the middle. And I'm so glad that I'm just slightly above journalists. Clergy, 37% of 37% highly trust the clergy in our society as opposed to journalists, only 33%. Uh, Unfortunately, though, Gallup goes out of their way to point out that um, journalists are on the rise and clergy are on 
uh, what's the opposite of rise? Decrease, yeah, oh, thank you, are, are on the decrease. Actually, since 1977, Gallup has measured the public's view of the honesty and ethics of clergy 34 times. 34 times since 1977, and this is the lowest percentage to date. So professional clergy, we're, 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 we're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> we're going in the wrong direction, still slightly above building contractors and, and bankers. I'm not sure that I should be too proud anyway. Lawyers, you're even further down. Business executives, oh, God bless them. Car salespeople, 8%. Members of Congress, 8%. Clergy's right in the middle there, but we're on the way down, according to popular opinion. You know, Christians spend a lot of our energy defending our beliefs and our positions, our social and cultural, right? We, find, we feel like we're on the defensive in society, and, and so we try and defend and defend, and no, look, the Bible's actually God's word, and, and here's why we believe all these crazy things, or at least these things that the world thinks, thinks are crazy. Uh, we spend a lot of our energy uh, defending our beliefs, and there's a place for that. Believe me, there's a place for that. Uh, but as the man I just mentioned anonymously, once pointed out, Christians probably should spend more of their times demonstrating that their leaders are trustworthy. People don't trust us. They don't. Hurting people, abused people, marginalized people, women, and other types of people in our society are going to come into these doors and immediately distrust us. And there is a place for defending biblical orthodoxy and the inerrancy and authority of the scriptures. There, there's a place for all of that. And, 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 and I, you need to hold me accountable and pray for me. I need to preach and, and defend the truth. But you know what's really important is actually demonstrating that Christian leaders are trustworthy. That is such a way that you can be praying for us. That, that, that your pastor and your elders and deacons and the men and women who are in leadership positions in this church would demonstrate that in the church, leaders can be trusted. I, th I think that's how people start to see that our worldview is worth hearing when there's integrity in our living, when we are in fact trustworthy, when the statistics at least here change and go up. In an age of growing hypocrisy in religion, in an age of mass confusion about truth and morality, and Paul has been hitting all of this, look how he ends it with, the church must demonstrate in its appointed leaders integrity. The church must demonstrate that its appointed leaders are, with God's help and by the grace of God, trustworthy. Trustworthy servants whose motivation is to serve and who serve in love. That's why Paul keeps saying things in his letters about, you know, these, these leaders who, who lead for selfish gain. You think, really? Yeah, it, it was happening, just like it's happening now. Trustworthy servants whose motivation is to serve and who serve in love. Maybe that's got to be at the top of our prayer list. There's this tension, right, between submitting to human leadership while we know that there's hypocrisy in the world, while we've seen hypocrisy, while we've all demonstrated a bit of hypocrisy, there's that tension. Honor mom and dad. Submit to your leaders. Pray for the king and the emperor. 
Submit to men such as these, as Paul says in this passage, knowing the hypocrisy, seeing it. And the younger you are, right, the, the, the millennial generation and, and down, they, they just, they sniff out, they sniff out a lack of authenticity. It's the first thing young people assume when they approach religion is where is the hypocrisy? And you may like that, you may not like that, but that's the world in which we live. We've got to be aware of that. And so we need to pray for integrity. And here's the promise. Here's the promise that God offers us regarding leadership. Jesus Christ will return and fulfill all of God's promises. Paul keeps coming back chapter after chapter to the return of Jesus. He keeps talking about it in every issue, every single issue so far in this, in this letter. Paul keeps alluding to the return of Christ, the resurrection of our very bodies. Okay. Christ, the risen Christ, the returning Christ is the answer to all of this. And here's how. We submit to human leaders like Caesar, like Trump, like mom and dad, like teacher so-and-so. We submit to human leaders, but we worship God alone. Biblical leadership teaches us that the best type of leader is a servant. And the only leader we worship and give ultimate weight to is God himself. And that's what's behind Jesus talking to the Pharisees saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. It means we don't give God-like weight to any of the leaders in our lives, any authority figure. You'll have such a better time processing and getting through the authority figures in your life that are a struggle for you if you stop giving them God-like weight. Then it's a little easier to honor them as their position requires. You don't worship your parents. You don't worship your political leaders. You don't worship your pastor. You don't worship your president. Maybe you do more than you realize. And that needs to change. You give them what they deserve, Jesus says, but you only give your heart to God. Biblical leadership teaches me that you're not my slaves to just do what I want you to do. The elders, the deacons, and I, you're not our slaves as members and attenders of Deep Run Church. We are yours. That is literal. I am your slave for Christ. But here's the catch. You're not my masters. That's what makes all of this work. I am your slave in the Lord, but you are not my master. I have one master. And that's what keeps everything straight. That allows me to serve you even when you don't like me, even when I don't please you. It allows me to serve you and remain your servant because I, I have a master and I'm accountable to him. His opinion is what matters the most. My job is to serve you, but follow him. And so you apply that to your relationship with your parents. You apply that in your relationship with your boss or your teacher, any authority figure in your life, especially the ones that you struggle to submit to, even the ones who don't deserve it, be careful. As Rachel prayed earlier, we, we submit and follow as appropriate, okay? But worship God alone. Give him the ultimate weight alone. I want to end with 
a thought by the New Testament scholar, scholar Gordon Fee in his commentary on Corinthians. He wraps up Paul's conclusion very well. He writes, Thus the letter ends on a note similar to its beginning, full of the same tension between what the Corinthians are by grace and what they, are, and what they yet need to become in terms of obedience to Christ. Christians must continually live in the tension between the already and the not yet. What they must not allow themselves to do, Fee goes on to say, what they must not do is to excuse themselves from obedience because they are not yet fully there. The grace of the Lord and the hope of his coming should cause all to heed the words of this letter so as to be watchful and to do all things in love. As we pray for and submit to and become leaders of integrity, we must live in the tension between the already and the not yet. What has already taken place is this, that the grace of God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christian has made you right, declared you righteous. By the grace of God, you are righteous. By the grace of God, in that righteousness, you have been reconciled to your creator. And by the grace of God, what is already true is that you have been adopted as sons and daughters, heirs of his coming kingdom when Jesus Christ returns to raise you up and restore you complete. That is what already has taken place. Amen? Amen. But not yet is your full obedience. Not yet is your willingness to submit to one another. Not yet is your complete full thankfulness, your complete full contentment, your full sanctification and the glorification of your bodies upon the resurrection. That is all not yet. The perfection of the leaders we are called to submit to is not yet. So we honor our human leaders, but we worship Christ alone, who has told us that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. Even as he left his 12, when he told them to make disciples of all nations, you and I are the product of that amazing command, that great commission. He said to them at the end, what did he say to them? I am with you to the very end of the age. That's leadership. He, Jesus provides the integrity that all of us lack. We're not calling people. We're not calling people into some kind of ideology or culture where they're supposed to look at any of us and go, wow, that's great. We're ultimately pointing them to Jesus. Where we fail, he doesn't. But that's why our integrity is so important because they may not even see Jesus if they think I'm a hypocrite. So what's already true is that God has made this leader righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. What's not yet true is that this leader is perfected. And so we still look to Jesus alone, who will never forsake us. The church and the world need good leaders, leaders who serve with integrity. Will you pray? Will you pray for leaders in our church? Will you pray for good leadership in the Presbyterian church in America? Will you pray for good leadership in your homes? 
in the homes of your children and your grandchildren? And will you become one? Will you act like a man? Will you act like a woman? Will some of you realize that someday you're going to have to act like a man or act like a woman and start paying attention right now? Pray, submit, and be a leader. And that's how we're going to conclude our discussion of 1 Corinthians. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for your servant, Paul, uh, who had such reasons to boast in a worldly way, in his education, in his intellect, in his accomplishments. Uh, and yet we're, we're amazed. We don't often see people like that with such status and ability in this world setting it aside uh, to become a humble servant. Father, help us to not miss his love uh, because of the intensity of his rebukes in this letter. Father, help us not to miss your love for us despite the intensity of your discipline upon us for our mistakes, for our lack of obedience. Father, we pray for leadership in our denomination. We pray for leadership in Deep Run Church. We pray for leadership in Maryland, in our country, in our world, until Christ returns, until our faith becomes sight, until the already is united to the not yet. Help us to pray and seek harvest workers and help us to pray for integrity and help us to follow those you have placed in authority over us. And Lord, whatever our circumstance may be, whatever setting, help us to act like leaders by devoting ourselves to the service of others. Amen.